Welcome to Caring for Caregivers, your life support podcast, where we explore what it really means to focus on your own mental health and well-being, along with the well-being of your workplace in the face of COVID-19 and other life challenges. I'm your host, Phil Rayner, and I've been working in the behavioral health care field as a social worker, serving in clinical, supervisory, and management roles for almost 40 years. Hello, I'd like to welcome Christy Pearls to um, today's podcast. Christy is a certified EMDR therapist and consultant in private practice in Massachusetts and Virginia. She specializes in helping adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families break free from emotional blocks from childhood so they can achieve their potential and fulfill their purpose in their work. Christy, it's great to have you here today. It's great to be here, Phil. Thank you so much. Welcome. Christy, we've been talking about some of the challenges that people have been facing working in behavioral health and in their careers, uh, particularly in these last couple of years as we've been affected by COVID. Um, And so I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your experience with bringing family of origin issues into your work. So, you know, I have some personal experience with this, and then I've got my professional experience with this. And, and you know, they, they really very much inform each other. I myself have a background where, you know, I grew up with a parent who struggled with substance use. And so, you know, I... I experienced that struggle myself of struggling with decision-making in my career, um, struggling with what was I going to do? Then once I made those decisions, kind of struggling with how to take care of myself, you know, there, there is a lot of lived experience for me um, in this area. And, you know, once I got into the, the mental health field, I realized that a lot of us therapists bring a lot of personal pain into this work with us. I think that being a person who comes from an alcoholic or dysfunctional family, um, it, you know, one of those traits is that you really find it easier to involve yourself in other people's problems, other people's feelings rather than your own. And, you know, I kind of joke that therapists make a career out of this. <laughs> we become professionals at it. Right. We're, we are professionals at it. You know, I started to look and see that, you know, myself, my colleagues, a lot of us, you know, there are the pretty reasons why you become a therapist. Uh, you know, of course, we want to help people. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. They're, they're, that's not bad. That's not wrong. It's a very positive quality to, to have empathy for other people and to want to help. Um, but then there are some of the other reasons why you might find yourself in the mental health field. And I think some of those reasons kind of feeling alive in a crisis, you know, really Mm. kind of feeling comfortable in that place of crisis or over-focusing on other people's feelings and not necessarily knowing how to factor yourself enough into the equation kind of sets, sets you up for some burnout. I think over the past couple of years, we've we've really seen that, you know, in exponential proportions. We, we were probably already burned out. It's not an easy field to be in. We were probably already struggling. And then with COVID, you know, 
many of us found ourselves, you know, even those of us who kind of were made to know how to survive a crisis, everybody has their limits somewhere. And I know I hit a wall, I hit maybe a couple walls at different points in in time throughout 2020 and 2021. And, um, you know, my clients did as well. How do you think growing up in a family where there's substance use or where there's dysfunction going on can set people up who may ultimately go into the field of behavioral health care for that tendency toward burnout? Yeah, well, there's probably a lot of reasons, um, but one of them is kind of the one we were just talking about, that that survival strategy or what starts out as a survival strategy really of kind of over-focusing on other people around you. You know, when you're a child in a home with chaos or instability, to say the least, of any kind, you know, you get really good at reading the room. You get really good at reading people how do they look today? Are they in a good mood? Are they in a bad mood? Okay. So I'm going to adjust myself to make this okay. And if I can't make it okay, well, I'm at least gonna try not to cause any problems. So this, this kind of pattern starts to develop of, you know, what in professionally we would probably call codependence, which is I, my ability to feel okay depends on your ability to be okay. And if you're not okay, I can't be okay. And as children, we, we, we've learned that we've gotten really good at that. Our parents or parent or parents or caregiver is not okay. Mm-hmm. And so we, we try to kind of overcompensate sometimes and say, okay, well, I'm going to just try to be good and not cause them any problems. And, and you start to kind of feel like a burden um, instead of, the reverse, which is, you know, you, it, your needs as the child should really be getting met and, mm-hmm. and they are not sufficiently getting met most likely if you're in a family with addiction or any other types of emotional dysfunction that create sort of emotional, you know, dysfunction. So you get used to your needs not getting met <laughs> and the mental health field, unfortunately, is, you know, it's it that that fits the paradigm in in many ways where therapists now you know that that little child that's used to his or her or their needs not being met grows up and then becomes a professional in the mental health field and along the way we probably get some messages from grad school or from supervisors or from you know kind of those systemic Mm-hmm. Um, institutions that that maybe our, our our needs aren't the most important thing here. Our clients' needs are. So when you take those forces and you put them all together, you can have some mental health professionals who are kind of personally toned towards not getting their needs met, and then they're in systems and environments where that's sort of unfortunately the norm, or it can mm-hmm. be, can be. Mm-hmm. That is a recipe for some probably unsatisfying uh, experiences as a professional. As you recognize that, it sounds like you're you were experiencing some of that in your early career experiences. Mm-hmm. How did you how did you change that response? 
Well, it took a long time. And my hope is, you know, part of the reason why I do the work I do now is I'm hoping it doesn't take as long for some other mm-hmm. people. I mean, it it took a while for me. You know, I spent years doing personal work. I was, you know, kind of a disaster for a while, you know, just to kind of, I mean, I'm making light of it now. It certainly wasn't light at the time, but I was pretty lost. You know, I think that there's something about when you grow up in a home with, with a lot of chaos, making decisions is very difficult Mm. because you have to let go of possibilities. You have to kind of pick something and, and go with it and let go of some other possibilities. And in career decision-making that that's exactly what you have to do. You have to commit to something and growing up in a chaotic environment, there's something about needing as many options as possible that helps you feel safer. So decision-making can be really hard. Choosing can be really hard. And so and, you want to keep all the doors open. Yeah, because that's the it, it just, it's, there's something like in a nervous system level, like that just feels safer. I don't think that's anything I could have articulated at the time or even later on, but there's just something about decision-making and, and thinking about, well, what, how were decisions made in your family? I mean, a lot of how you make decisions is learned from what you've seen. And so if you haven't seen caregivers discussing pros and cons or, you know, kind of weighing things out. Or if you've been, as I was, like decisions in my family were always kind of catastrophic out of the blue and Mm -hmm. I was never involved and I never saw anyone talking about anything. (laughs) And then I was told after the fact, this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's not a great model for decisions. And, and I think that really starts to come into play with young young people, and it did for me as a younger person, you know, when you're trying to make decisions and choices in your life, it can feel like you're a little bit lost. You're a little bit um, behind the eight ball. Like there's this secret that everybody else gets that you don't. Right. Like some process that you've had no experience with. And Mm -hmm. so not really clear how, how do I make this work? Right. And then take that with, you know, really lacking kind of a sense of self, which back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, when you're used to paying much more attention to other people than yourself, and you haven't had much mirrored back to you, you don't even know what you're good at. <laughs> and, right. and so, you know, to, this is um, long winded, but I'm getting back to you asked, you know, how did I turn it around? I did everything I possibly could. Honestly, I, you know, everything from going to seminars, to reading books, to watching Oprah and Phil Donahue. I'm old enough to have watched Phil Donahue. (laughs) I'm right there with you. (laughs) In the early days of, you know, Oprah and I went to therapy. I took medication at times when it just, I, I just absolutely needed it. I did everything I possibly could. I went to a seminar and this was actually, I've never seen anything else like it. I wish I would see this again, but I actually went to a a seminar at the Cambridge Center for Adult Education. This was probably in the late nineties. 
it was career decisions for adult children of dysfunctional families. Wow. I showed up at whatever elementary school, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> for the, the career decisions for adult children of dysfunctional families class. I mean, who does that? Like I did right. that because I, I was just so desperate to figure this out. And I was in a room full of other people that were doing the same thing. And that was incredibly, like, that was kind of my first time at sort of going out in public and, you know, other than my therapist's office, kind of sitting in a room with other people that had experienced what I had experienced. And, and I think that's really important. And of course, nowadays with social media and everything else, we, we have much more kind of you don't have to feel alone in pretty much anything, (laughs) you know, there's a lot more information available, but I, I did, I did everything I possibly could. And it, it was a long process and I'm still in that process. You know, I, Mm. I now I'm in a completely different place than I was, you know, two decades ago, but that took a lot of hard work and really giving myself permission to be myself. I really spent a lot of time. And I mean, this, it sounds almost kind of self-absorbed, but it really isn't when you ultimately, all I ever wanted was to kind of fulfill my purpose and to have meaningful contribution in the world. And so it wasn't like, I just want to know me because I want to know me. It was, I want to know me so I can be who I was meant to be. A lot of, a lot of work on myself and um, learning that it was safe to take risks and getting a lot of help. I wouldn't have made it this far and, and, you know, without people who were there for me, you know, whether that was professionally or personally, just really kind of learning it's okay to get help and, you know, it's okay to take risks and when it's, when it's the risk of becoming more of who you were meant to be. You know, I was just thinking when you you were saying taking risks, that there's a courage for, again, for those of us who are working as counselors in in whatever title or role, um, there's a certain persona that we have it all together, that we, Mm -hmm. you know, we're on top of things and our lives are okay and all that. And so when you talked about being willing to go to that class and, address the uncertainty about your own career direction and the decision-making. There's there's a willingness to make yourself vulnerable and be courageous in saying, yeah, I'm not sure which way I'm going. I'm I'm confused myself. And Mm -hmm. and that can be hard, I think, for a lot of us in the field to uh, let down that got it all together mask. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, it was, that was a very humbling experience. I mean, I literally walked in and, you you know, there was like the, the guy at the table in the lobby. And so I walk up and he says, oh, you know, are you here for the computer class? And I said, no. And he said, the drumming class? And it's like, <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm here for the career decisions for adult mm-hmm. children of dysfunctional families class. So, you know, it's, it is so humbling, but, you know, I think the more, the more you do that, the more you realize that everybody's struggling with something, but yeah, there, I will say there's, there's probably a continuum in the mental health field. Some therapists, you know, fall in one area or another of the continuum. Some are more or less comfortable with 
self-disclosure in general, or, you know, anything about themselves being known, you know, some therapists don't want anything at all. Mm-hmm. And some therapists, you know, are on TikTok every day, you know, right. Just <laughs> wide open with every, every you know, yeah. not everything mm-hmm. I'm sure, but like very, very public and, and open. And mm-hmm. there's probably a little bit, you know, everything in between. I'm probably on the more open end of the spectrum. It's actually the reason why some people would want to work with me because they know I get it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That, that you understand the real lived experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I take care of myself. I'm not bringing my stuff into sessions. Another reason to do a lot of work on yourself, obviously, you know, I think every, every therapist, you know, part of our job is to really take care of ourselves so that we can be present and hold, you know, have that container really be, for our clients, but I, I'm a human being. So I do put like some of myself into that container too. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, in order to, in order to have a real relation relationship, you, you need to put a certain amount of yourself out and, and, and be real with the people you're talking with. Mm-hmm. Christy, I'm curious, how, how has the work that you've done changed your approach to the way you do your, your work now? I have moved away from doing weekly therapy with clients. I, you know, have a handful of clients that I still see on a weekly or biweekly basis, but over the course of COVID and really even before COVID, I was sort of thinking along these lines, but certainly during COVID, it became definitely, it it crystallized for me that the full therapy practice was not sustainable for me. And, you know, again, I'm not here to tell anybody how they should run their practice. But for me, I just felt like I needed more variety. I needed more space. I needed more freedom in my week. And it didn't feel that way anymore with, you know, most therapists, I think is, and it's certainly the norm and certainly the tradition um, to have your week, however many days you're working and see clients back to back, you know, 45 or 50 minutes. And, you know, you just boom, 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 you you Mm -hmm. do your day and then you get up and you do it all over again. And you're kind of thinking like, okay, one more, you know, one more or two more for today or, you know, and that, that just didn't work for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I always knew that about myself. I never wanted to have a therapy practice that was all day, every day working with clients, because I didn't feel like I'm just not built that way. There's probably a little early on a little bit of shame in that because, you know, you feel like, well, I'm not a real therapist if I don't want to work with clients back to back for, you Mm -hmm. know, at least four days a week. I mean, you know, you're not, that's like what therapists do. So if you're not doing that, then you're not really a real therapist. Yeah. I'm not, like you're not meeting the definition. <laughs> right. Right. So it's like, what do you mean? You don't want to work all day, every day. With, but, yeah. you know, as a trauma therapist, which is ultimately what I am, you know, you're, if you're working with people with attachment trauma, or family of origin trauma, I mean, that's, it's, it can be heavy work. Part of taking care of myself was realizing, okay, I'm not going to be available for this anymore because I don't really feel like I can show up the way I want to for myself or for my clients. So I 
started the process of shifting away from that and working more intensively. So, you know, I'm an EMDR therapist. And so there's some flexibility in how you can go about that. So I started moving towards working with fewer people for, for more in-depth, longer periods. So I'm working fewer hours, probably more in-depth. So it's like, it's, it's a little bit of a trade-off because it's a different type of energy that's required for a three-hour session mm-hmm. and for three one-hour sessions. Those are like two really different animals. Mm -hmm. But for me, I really like that three hours with that one person more than I like the one hour with three people, because it's just, there's too much getting in and out of the material. And I, I just preferred working more intensely with fewer people. And so that started to feel better to me, especially after COVID. I just needed to structure my week differently so that it worked better for me. And so I started doing more intensive work. And so like I, after that three hours, like I'm done, like that's not, I don't, that's, that's the end of, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not doing back-to-back intensives. The goal is like working smarter, not harder. As my mentor, Cambria Evans says, you know, working smarter and I I can hear listeners like, but wait, that means you're not, you know, helping as many people. And that's true. (laughs) I'm Mm -hmm. not. However, what that allows me to do is diversify and help in other ways that that also helps me. And and I'm pretty like unapologetic about that (laughs) because I, I, I firmly believe that therapists and mental health professionals, healthcare professionals in general, I mean, we should be the healthiest people around. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately we're not. I believe we were made to thrive. I no longer subscribe to the burned out, you know, exhausted therapist kind of, you know, mm-hmm. paradigm. So yeah, I, I, and, and I now, you know, help teach other people how to do that, which is really exciting because it's, we need something different. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. we, we need something different in the mental health field that helps people get better faster, that gives people options. Not everybody wants to wait a year or two mm-hmm. to work through their trauma. I, I really like having the variety, the options, and it allows me to do other things such as consultation or teaching or, you know, developing other passive income products that, you know, could help way more people than I can help in just being my client. Like, as a therapist, we can only, we can only help so many people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even That's if you true. are seeing clients back to back all day, every day, you can only help so many people that way. There's a ceiling. So I, I wanted to start to think more creatively about like, let's not follow this model just because let's think right. about what's going to work going forward. And, and it sounds like you, you gave yourself permission to to be who you really are and to do work and design work that, that fits with who you are. I mean, I don't hear you prescribing now that all therapists should go out and do intensive three hour sessions and work on trauma and, you know, mm-hmm. you know do what you're doing, mm-hmm. but that it's important to recognize and accept who you are and take you know, value who you are 
mm-hmm. and then design a way of working that is in alignment with that. Yes, absolutely. Because what works for me isn't going to be what works for the other person. And that's what I want other therapists or, you know, other healthcare professionals to know is that, you know, you can design things to work for you. If, if you have your own practice, you can, you're the boss, you, you get to decide that is a mindset shift for a lot of people. And it was for me thinking like, wait, what I can actually get what I want. I can, are you sure? Are you, are you sure I can do that? Yeah. It's like this shocking idea that I can I can really have what I want. Right, mm-hmm. right, and 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 stepping into that. Yeah, I'm not here to tell everybody they have to start doing intensives. But what I hope I'm communicating is that whatever is in alignment with your values, whatever is in alignment with you and who you are and how you want to work, you can have that. You don't have to follow old norms just because. So that's, you know, and what, and the beauty of that is we are all unique. Even me and another trauma therapist, we're, even if we do the same thing, we're different people with different experiences and different personalities and we're, we're still different. We're still unique. So we don't have to worry about all of that. Just be yourself and help the people you want to help in the way that you want to do it. I think the problem is people don't know that people don't know they can feel empowered to do that, or they aren't sure they can do it. Or, you know, there's a lot of confidence issues in there. There's some fears. So, you know, that's what I hope I'm getting across is that, you know, you don't have to do what I'm doing, but I hope you're doing what you want to be doing. Christy, how might this apply for a counselor or therapist working in an organization that has certain expectations Mm -hmm. of the position, while at the same time, the counselor does want to honor themselves and be able to work in a way that's aligned with who they are. Yeah. Well, this is, this is a really tough question. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, in my pre private practice life, professional life, I, you know, worked in other segments of the mental health field. I worked in community mental health. I worked for managed care. I worked for, you know, government um, in health and human services. So I've seen this issue from pretty much all angles. And I have great respect for the people who I, you know, used to work with and all the colleagues and stakeholders that I met over the years, Massachusetts and, you know, all the community mental health professionals and agencies and leaders and, you know, These are good people that are really trying to do a good job. And, you know, the system is, is broken. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just is, (laughs) so um, I don't know that I, I mean, people much smarter than me are working on solving that, but from where I sit, you know, having been in those other roles and understanding how many agencies do really value their employees, the therapists that are working for them, but the system is broken. And so I, I, I guess I would first like to speak to the leaders, you know, of those agencies and just invite them to kind of let's all rethink 
this, you know, and, and trust me, I worked for the government too. Like I know, I know who they're accountable for. I know who they're accountable to. I, I mean, I right. get it. Like right. so you're not, I, you're not coming from some perfect imaginary universe no. where everything is just fine all the time. No, no. So I understand the macro system really well. <laughs> um, that being said, if I come down to the, the therapist level, because again, that's a whole nother podcast, you know, <laughs> how, how, do, how do we work together to fix the system? But if I come down to that therapist who's working in community mental health that might be listening to this, I want to say to that person to really give yourself permission to number one challenge the system. And number two, challenge yourself to think about what is it that you actually want? Because I, I remember, you know, I, I will never forget <laughs> my first job out of grad school in community mental health. And it was, I mean, it was incredibly stressful. One of the most stressful time periods in my adult life was I, and at the time I thought, you know what, if this is what being a therapist is, I don't want it. And right. so I didn't last very long. I only lasted a few years. And then I went into those other roles because I thought I can't do this. I, my health won't make it. I won't make it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I cannot do this. And I'm, I know there are a lot of people in that position. And so I guess I'm speaking to the person who might want something different. If you're a person who feels called, I don't want to, I'm not bashing community mental health. It's an incredibly needed resource for, you know, for people. But if you feel called to, and you are built to make it in that system, bless you. Good, you know, good luck. Mm -hmm. Do, do you. <laughs> mm -hmm. right. More power to you. Right. More power to you. But if you are having the sense that, you know, I feel called to something else. I feel called. I have these other ideas that I might want to do. I invite that person to just start somewhere. Take a step go online and listen to a podcast about private practice. There's so many resources that are available now for free that were not available when I was in those shoes. I mean, they just weren't there, but you can do it. You can, if you, if you want to have your own practice, if you want to do things your own way, just start. There's an important caveat here because, you know, I, that, that can feel pretty impossible. And I know like if somebody had said that to me at the time, I would have said, what do you mean? Just start like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I can't do anything. I'm trapped. I think that feeling of feeling trapped, whether it's just lack of information or resources or whether it's other systemic issues, you know, I, I want to acknowledge like sitting here right now, my privilege in talking about challenging systems and, you know, because I wasn't the, the position I'm in now, I was not in at the time. At that time sure. I didn't know where to start either, but I would say, you know, really start 
somewhere. Just get some information, take a step, think about what might you want for yourself? What kind of work do you want to do in the world? Because I can tell you, private practice is so doable. I mean, I think a lot of people have some fears about it because it feels, you know, like it's the unknown, it's a lot of responsibility and, and it is, but you can do it. If all these other people have done it, you can do it too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's no special magic in it, but there's some work in it. I just, I feel for people working in community mental health because I did it and I understand it. And it's very hard work. It can be very rewarding work if you love it. If you don't love it, Mm -hmm. then do the community and yourself a favor and figure out what you do love and go do that. I appreciate you saying that, and in some ways it's acknowledging that it's permissible to do what you really love. If you really love doing the community Mm -hmm. behavioral health, then wonderful. If not, then then it's okay to go Mm -hmm. find and do what you love. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds like in doing that yourself, it's allowed you to be a more effective counselor or resource in your own right. I really, I hope it has. I think it has. I know it feels really different to me. I feel like I have gotten better at being a therapist since I made that shift. I mean, it might be a little bit of an unfair comparison because, you know, COVID, like, I don't know about all the other therapists listening to this, but I didn't necessarily feel like therapist of the year sometimes during COVID because, you know, I was probably struggling, you know, in a lot of the same ways that my clients were. But since then, and since kind of making these changes for myself, I do, I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to the vision that I had really all those years ago. I'm getting, I'm getting there and I'm, I'm believing it more and I'm realizing I'm going to come back to this idea of empowerment because that feeling of empowerment to change things is really the game changer. That is the key. And that going back to ACOA issues, that's probably one of the biggest shifts for a person is going from feeling so disempowered and trapped to feeling empowered and free that that is for an adult child of an alcoholic or dysfunctional family that is that's a huge bridge to make your way across and that really does also translate into you know your career like when you realize you can make choices that you have options you mm-hmm. aren't trapped and it can you can feel trapped I mean, you know, and I just, I understand this place so much. Um, But when you get it in your bones that you have options and choices, and then you start taking action, becoming an actor and not a reactor, Mm -hmm. those two things, like that empowerment plus action equals magic for, you know, for your life. Chrissy, if if somebody wanted to learn more about the ideas that you're sharing right now, is there a resource that they could go to to learn more about this? 
Sure. If, if they would like to know more about being an adult child of an alcoholic or dysfunctional family, there's a great website. It's adultchildren.org. This is the website for, it's the 12-step community. It's like a 12-step model, just like AA or NA. Um, this is ACA. Um, so, you know, I would say even if you're not interested in the 12-step community or, or paradigm to go there just for the basic information. There's some really good information. If you don't know, if, you know, you're thinking, I don't know if I'm an adult child, you know, there's some good resources there where you can kind of take a look at that. And, and I've actually gone to this website with clients before, and I've shown them um, what's called the laundry list, like the, the common traits people don't know. Mm-hmm. There are some really common qualities that you develop as an adult child. And so that's always an eye-opening experience when we go and I show them that page and I say, okay, read this. (laughs) Do you identify with any of these things? And they say, oh my God, I can't believe that. You know, that's like check, 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 check. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I would say that's a really good place to start if you're just curious about, you know, learning more about ACA, ACA, sometimes it's called ACA or ACOA. Um, And and obviously, if you're interested in going to meetings or things like that, all of that information is on there too. Adultchildren.org, right? Adultchildren.org, yes. Okay. And I have no affiliation with them. I, I, they, they don't know who I am. I just, I use, you know, I go to meeting, I participate mm-hmm. <laughs> in, as part yeah. of my own self-care, um, and I use that tool with my clients as well. And any other resources that people might be able to turn to if they wanted to learn more about your ideas or these suggestions? Sure. I mean, I would love to have people visit my website, christypearl.com. And I have what I call a business relationship check-in. So I developed this tool to help people evaluate their relationship with their work. And so if they were interested in doing that, they can just go to my website and a box should pop up where they can uh, download a free copy of that. That's great. Thank you. Thanks for that information. Sure. You're very welcome. Any final thoughts that you'd want to share with listeners around self-care as we continue finding our way through COVID? Yeah. You know, I believe self-care really needs to be built into the structure of our work. Um, Not just our lives, but definitely including our work. What we have historically tended to do in mental health is we kind of someone in in a power position says, oh, you know, why don't you go do some self-care so, you know, you can sort of meet our expectations and 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 fulfill your obligations in the system that is kind of abusing your gifts and talents. And so why don't you go get a mani-pedi and come back and be ready to see all, all, you know, 10 of your clients for the day. But how I think about self-care is that it really does need to be built into the structure of our work and not something we try to cram in as an extra activity in what is usually an already overburdened schedule. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a wonderful point and probably a very good place for us to wrap up. I really want to thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I think this has been very helpful and uh, very informative. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I I hope that uh, this is helpful. Thank you. Help is here. 
If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health or substance use concerns, contact 1-833-2-FIND-HELP. This podcast is produced by Advocates for Human Potential and supported wholly or in part through an emergency COVID-19 grant to the Illinois Department of Human Services Division of Substance Use Prevention and Recovery from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. The sentiments expressed in this podcast are not endorsed by any of these involved entities.